We were taught to fear totalitarian governments. We feared they would know everything about us. They'd follow us everywhere, track our every move, and keep secret files on us, which could be used to influence our lives in ways that were only vaguely visible to us. Well, we're on our way to such a nightmare, only it isn't our governments that know everything about us, follow us everywhere, track our every move, and keep secret files on us. It's the marketing industry. Hello, and welcome to episode one of the Silence Please podcast, the first in the series where we explore the state of online advertising in 2018. On the surface, the value proposition of ad tech reaching the highest value eyeballs at the cheapest possible locations is an appealing proposition. But as we shall see, advertising has probably never experienced a wider gap between theory and reality. This series is very much inspired by a book called Bad Men, written by ad contrarian Bob Hoffman, who you heard in the opening. In each episode, we'll invite three top industry professionals to discuss one of six topics that arise in Bad Men. We'll use these topics as starting points for some quite hard conversations about what we're doing, why we're doing it, and if it's okay. I'm Lee Henshaw, one of the owners of Silence Media and a Bob Hoffman supervan. Joining us today are Samantha Scott, Media Planning and Trading Director at 360i Digital, James Deber, Client Partner at the Programmatic Advisory, and last but not least, Charlie Johnson, Vice President for the UK and Ireland at Digital Element. So, let's start at the beginning. James, can you tell me what is AdTech and how did it start? So, AdTech at its kind of most fundamental basis is a technology which powers the buying and selling uh, of online ad space. Um, The benefit largely being kind of operational efficiency and second is the performance side of things. So, you know, being able to reach people at scale with data against that user and understanding more than ever about those users is just something that wasn't possible before um, the invention of ad tech. If I want to sell sports shoes, for example, how will ad tech help me reach people who like sport? How does it actually work? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I think I'm a sports fan. I'm interested in sports. I might go on to Sky Sports. I might also go on to The Guardian and read about the top news stories in the day. And naturally, you wouldn't necessarily associate uh, someone who's on the homepage of The Guardian as definitely interested in sports. But now what you can do with ad tech, and this is collected via cookies. Um, There are companies who have relationships with publishers, for example, and they can start to collect uh, information and uh, history on people's kind of browsing habits. So I have visited Sky Sports five times in the last month, for example. That would infer that I'm a sports fan. And even if I move away from Sky Sports website, I'm still interested in sports. So it allows you to kind of reach people um, in different environments. And there are a number of kind of big players in this space around data. And data can come from a number of sources. It's not just tracking history online. You can start to use offline data, um, survey data, and start to stitch those together in a a profile um, that is then associated to a user via a cookie ID. And when you're looking to buy those ads using ad tech, those IDs are matched. And you can say, this is user 1234 who has previously shown an interest in sport, for example. Sam, could you talk us through what you see as the benefits of ad tech? Making sure that we're relevant to people. So we're hitting people that we think are going to actually respond and find the advertising interesting in some way rather than just reaching a mass audience, any of that sort of thing. So getting rid of that wastage, uh, making sure that the money that we're spending for our clients is much more efficient. 
What are the drawbacks of advertising technology? Charlie? So sort of broad strokes, some of the drawbacks of technology is the fact that we're not all operating on an even playing field. Some guys are making the effort to produce the best in breed technology that they possibly can. And I think that they are getting tarred by the stick of those who aren't. And that sort of gives it a bit of a sort of wash to the whole industry, which is a bit it's a bit challenging because if you're a brand, how do you know who's the best, right? And how do you know who's doing it the right way and what's the verification? And there is no, in my opinion, there is... Use consultants. Yeah, uh, <laughs> obviously, use consultants. But, but that is one of the challenges. And so uh, from my side, I'm getting more and more brands coming and asking me to validate, hey, this particular trading platform, are they using your data? Because they're saying that they are. And here's a worrying thing. Sometimes the answer isn't yes. Mm. Then what do I do? And we're just one data partner. There's so much data that mm. gets fed into it. And then the other thing for me that I'm seeing, and this is on a personal level, which I find upsetting, is what it's kind of done to publishing content. And I think it's put a different spin on creating quality content. You know, if you look at BuzzFeed, right, they're creating content that people want to look at, right? And they've embraced native advertising, which is an ad technology that sits behind it, and there's great side of things. But then there's also the journalistic integrity of Truro News. They're struggling to then make their share of the ad revenue that comes through and it's almost a non-fair situation. And I think that's a big challenge is how do you continue to support the quality content that's out there that people do still want when advertising rates don't support that. You know, it's not like paying doing a full-page ad for Truro News mm. on their website. They're not getting the CPMs that maybe 10 years ago they could have charged a £100 CPM. Sam, do you think then we have, through advertising technology, been involved in it? in a race to the bottom. I do think a little bit that's kind of become apparent, but I do think that we're taking steps to change it as well. So I think that it was slow for publishers to get on board with programmatic and ad tech because they saw that their yield and their bottom line was getting diminished. And over time, agencies of and big network agencies have we're going to kind of force their hand a little bit um, and said, if you don't, we're going programmatic, we're going digital, we're going this way, and if you don't get on board, we're not going to spend with you. But we are starting to see, I think, a shift a little bit towards valuing um, inventory again and moving away from, I guess, just display as well as more productization of ad tech becomes available with, I guess, native and audio and digital radio and all these other things that you can go into. Um, I definitely think that, from what I've seen anyway, there is an element of value, but it's not enough to counteract that race to the bottom that happened at the start. Can you tell us, what is the digital advertising industry's relationship like with transparency? That seems to be a, a buzzword in our industry. Can you explain what's going on there? <laughs> it's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> so with transparency at the moment, there is, I guess, the supply chain. So where money's going with all the different technology platforms, all the agencies, all the different places that gets touched but also transparency around data. What is the data that's being collected, where it's coming from, 
and then where the inventory is actually being served as well. So masking of domains means that we can't necessarily be 100%. And there's a big reliance on using verification partners to make sure that we are reaching um, the right places. But again, because of the prevalence of fraud and, I mean, they're hackers, they're always going to be one step ahead of us, unfortunately. <laughs> it kind of feels like that at the moment. And do clients broadly accept that lack of transparency because they see the benefits of advertising in this way? It's difficult to say because I think some of them have a perception of and the way they talk about it, they understand what's going on, but then actually when you delve deeper and start analysing it and asking questions, there is a little bit of ignorance is bliss, but others are really, really on it and really worried about it, asking the right questions and pulling spend as well. Charlie, can you explain what advertising technology has meant for the role of the publisher? I can have a go. <laughs> that's the best idea. So the challenge that's come with it is losing the control with advertising technology. And that's the issue, that it just then gets siphoned off and gets sent through to different um, platforms, technologists, whatever we want to call them. And for a publisher, control is probably one of the most important things. They want to control who is advertising next to them. You know, this is their quality content. This is their crown jewels. And when they start losing that control, it becomes a bit more of an issue. The other thing, and I think there's publishers and ad technology have taken a huge beating for the role of the duopoly right? That has taken away a huge amount of their potential revenue that's come through. And it's made it harder for those guys to be able to control what comes in through to them. And it comes back to the role of the person behind the technology. That must not be underestimated. You've got to build that trust with the people who are behind it. You know, you don't write an email and have an email automated back giving the transparency. You call Bob, you call John, you ask them what's going on about this. You sit them down with your brand directly. You you know, you open the kimono. I think that's a really interesting point from a planning perspective as well, especially with the massive shift to prioritise programmatic delivery um, across agencies is making sure that we're educating the planners, making sure they're talking to the buyers, but not just talking to the programmatic buyers, but talking to the publishers. Yeah, That's when really interesting opportunities become available that maybe is outside of what we'd already spoken about, thought about in terms of display advertising. And that's when you get excited again about what is actually possible and some really interesting stuff we could be doing. And you know what works best on the different sites. So it's actually having that relationship and valuing it, I 100% agree. And also, I think it's seen um, a shift in the staff that the publishers are employing. I don't know about in your roles, but I'm seeing significant more product roles coming around in the publisher's side of things for exactly that reason. You need somebody who is not necessarily a salesperson, understands the technology, but can also reason and understand what the brands and the agencies are trying to do. And this role of the product guy is coming in and and really expanding those opportunities. And as you say, getting people excited again, and that's a brilliant thing. Definitely, definitely. That that is changing massively. The way that people who work in, in programmatic and are using ad tech are approaching their relationships with publishers for sure. You know, as publishers are making more and more available programmatically, that really expands those sorts of conversations that you could have. Whereas before it was, you know, you'd sit behind a DSP, your demand side platform, and you'd run standard assets and it wasn't very exciting it was performing well because you were buying it quite cheap and it was really just standard stuff now those conversations are starting to change and like you said you know those product teams are coming about because they know they're needed 
to be able to start offering these things programmatically because the agencies are wanting to go programmatic but also have this desire to do some better stuff and some cooler stuff Mm. which to an extent hasn't been possible but now is really kind of starting to come through. Ad tech has expanded so rapidly over the last six or seven years. What has this meant for regulation of the digital advertising industry? Yeah, it's it's a really grey area. There's still a lot of bad stuff going on, um, which probably won't <laughs> won't go into in, in too much detail. But well, please do, my friend. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> um, you are neutral after all. Yeah, you, yeah, you know, you're, you're the Switzerland of programmatic. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so yeah, there's bits around the fraudsters, um, you know, spoofing of domains, so clients' budgets not going where they are supposed to be going. There's bits around data leakage, so from a publisher perspective, this is a really big area. So coming back to that control piece that they've lost, particularly around data, they've lost control. There are people who can just appear in an auction, being an opportunity to buy um, ad space. And by appearing in that auction, they can use that data to know that that user has visited that certain domain. So instantly, say that domain is Guardian Sports section, instantly they've lost that data and people can start to use that data. And that really is their kind of USP. That's that's their most important asset. And by no means am I saying that everyone is doing this, um, but there certainly are some bad practices out there and, and these things are technically possible for those people who, who want to do it. Um, but it is so difficult to regulate. Um, do you, do you, you think know, you, it is the role of government to help us get rid of these bad actors? Yes, but it is difficult for them to do that. But also, it's everyone within the industry as well. You know, there, there needs to be a conscious effort from all sides. You know, if you look at the landscape, how many players there are in the market now facilitating these different parts of the um, ad tech world, it's just almost impossible to police. There's new people popping up every week, it seems like. Is that your experience, Sam? Are you finding well, it sometimes hard to keep up because there's so much going on? Yeah, it's... It's ridiculous. You could work with so many different people. And while the IAB and those sort of bodies do a really good job at a guiding principle, um, there is a lack of regulation. I think don't really want to go down the line of it has to be government, but I don't think that we can necessarily trust the advertising industry to do it itself as well with the likes of, you know, the Googles and the Facebooks and all that sort of stuff, Amazon owning the industry any sort of regulation that's done by the advertising industry itself is going to help its self-interest. Yes, well, the advertising so, industry doesn't have a history of cleaning itself. No, it? not at all. <laughs> we, tend to, we tend to follow. We don't tend to lead. And I think there is a consensus amongst the people that run our industry that if it's not illegal, it's OK. <laughs> you, would you agree with that, <laughs> Charlie? This is crime. It's just that we don't perceive a person at the end of it. We don't perceive... And I say the we, I'm talking not myself or anybody in this room, clearly. But, you know, we don't think of ourselves as, as running down the street, snatching handbags off of little old ladies. That's a sort of crime with a face on it. But this is crime on the ad fraud side of things. People are losing as a result and it is having much wider implications. You know, fake news and the effect that that's having on, on political situations. And you said, you know, Lee, that we don't have a, a good reputation of cleaning ourselves as an industry. I don't actually know many industries that do. What is the problem for the advertising? Is it's proven to be a very easy way for money laundering to go through and therefore an easy way for criminals to clean their money and that is where the governments and courts need to perhaps take a step. Let's stop the major guys who are using this to fund other criminal activity. 
Bob Hoffman says in Bad Men that the advertising industry has never experienced a wider gap between theory and reality. What does he mean and how did we get here? The theory which we've discussed today was that ad technology was the silver bullet that was going to save us all. The reality is potentially we've all run to the bottom of the food chain and we're struggling to, you know, trying to look like swans paddling frantically to make it all work. I disagree with him. We're still in our infancy in ad technology. I genuinely believe that whilst we all who have been in this industry, whilst it's developed and grown up, I would still say we're in our infancy in seeing everything that we could possibly do, all of the improvements we could make, and we are running to keep up. In my opinion, he's implying there's a a willful negligence by all of us in the industry to not do this job properly. I would so disagree with that. So it's a bit harsh to look back at what's developed in eight to ten years and say, well, that's a load of rubbish. You know, that, that didn't work. We're trying to fix the problems and more problems will appear and we'll have to fix those. I still believe in the theory. I really do. Yeah, I think I think you have to, to look back at why has it come about. And, and the reason it's come about is efficiency and performance largely. And those two things still hold true. You know, it is much more efficient to use technology. And we're trying to move forward. We're trying to be progressive. Advertising has been around for hundreds of years. Ad tech's been around for 10. And I think it's around having the confidence to talk about the downside as well. I think there has in the past been a little bit of a disparity between the people working on the technology platforms and understanding the ups and downsides of it. And then you've got really senior people talking about it but who don't really understand Mm how it actually works. So they're like, we can do all this stuff and it's going to be great and you can reach whoever you want. We can say whatever we want to them. It's going to be awesome. And then the person who actually delivers it goes like, oh, God, it's not actually true 100% of the time and there's this and this and this and this and this. So I think it's around making sure that we're speaking about it in a balanced way. Mm. I think Bob's problem is that there are too many bad actors, to use that phrase again, and that we've supported them by throwing money their way because it's convenient. I am aware that I'm looking at the Bob superfan as I say this. <laughs> I I disagree, and it comes back to the evolution of the process, right? That this is just... It's happened as a result of people trying to do things efficiently, trying to do things better, and the bad actor is one of those... Sadly, side effects of everything we've tried to do. I don't think anybody planned for that. I think that um, one of the things that I like about Bob and this book is that he very much puts himself on the side of the consumer. Would you agree with Bob's sentiment that we don't put ourselves on the side of the consumer? Where we've kind of gone wrong with that is publishers have, uh, have felt the squeeze and they've come up with invented new formats, um, tried these intrusive formats that clearly haven't gone very well, ad blocking going through the roof, buyers just want their ads in front of people kind of as quickly or as efficiently as possible. And probably we did forget about the consumer experience. That's changing though. So there's um, a thing called Coalition for Better Ads. And they're looking at, you know, what sort of formats do consumers want to see? And that's really getting rid of those really intrusive formats, one that everyone hates, the pop-ups on your mobile that take over your whole screen. Um, and Google have taken a stance on this. So in Chrome now, they're, they're automatically blocking any publishers who have those sorts of ads. So this is a good thing. But there are still bits around the consumer piece that aren't being considered around data usage, for example. But obviously that's changing with GDPR coming. Um, there's still a disconnect, I, I believe. In terms of the formats, I definitely think we've got better. 
if you think about 10 years ago, the types of ads that you would get were crap. There were pop-ups going off. There were, like, shit gifts, things happening. You know, when was the last time you really got a pop-up come up unless you're on an illegal streaming site or something like that? So I definitely think we have moved towards a consumer, more consumer-centric, but definitely have way to go, especially from that data perspective. Just to interject slightly, I do feel that we're dumbing down the consumer on this a little bit too much. It's because they don't quite get it. Fake news has obviously been a huge problem. And it's now suddenly come to being something that everybody's talking about. And there's news articles on the TV about it and things like that. There needs to be more educating for the consumer to understand, hey, you got this bit of content because there's a whole industry in advertising that's paid for it. This is the exchange. The internet is not free. And they need to recognise that ad blockers are actually hurting it. As much as we should recognise we need to improve our formats, they need to recognise they they have an exchange in this process. Yeah, definitely. We've trained them (laughs) into a sense of... uh... You know, I have to say, I don't think that people think like that. And I'd be interested to know if you actually think like that. I think in my experience... You don't really care about other people's problems. You care about your problems. I don't think it matters to people that the publishers whose content that they're enjoying are struggling because their business model is under threat. I'm just not sure that's the way that people actually work. I hear that argument a lot in our industry, but I'm not sure if you were to take that industry to the pub and talk to your friends about it in that way, they'd feel the same. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I've definitely had that experience before where I have been speaking to people who are not like friends that are not in the advertising industry at all and have had to explain how advertising does pay for the journalists and the content and the site and all that sort of stuff. And there is like genuine surprise and it does tend to be a generation thing as well. I, I do wonder how much more savvy kind of younger people are about it. And, and the other side of it is when you when you have those conversations and you say, OK, well, would you be willing to pay a monthly subscription to read uh, The Telegraph? No, obviously not. So why? <laughs> then Nothing's free in this world. <laughs> That's what you have to remember. Quite. Now, Charlie, you're in a unique position of working with lots of big ad tech companies, but not actually using it yourself. Yes. As a, an outsider, if you will, whose responsibility is it to make the digital advertising world a better place? Everyone's. Absolutely everyone's responsibility. There is no passing the buck on this. This is very much including brands. I'm seeing that so much more now that they are becoming educated. They're sort of not just hoping for the best. You know, they need to understand this. And they are. So I would say it's everybody's responsibility. But we also have to be slightly uh, reasonable to recognise we all have a day job as well, right? Everybody's trying to make the ad technology world a better place, but we still have to keep the wheels turning of what we're doing today and that's probably the biggest challenge ultimately the people with the spend are in the strongest place to resist uh, the temptation of putting it in the wrong places so once they're asking the right questions I think it's going to filter through the point you just made around everyone has a day job I think it's really interesting I think the value that we do need to place on is like making people have roles that are around that development but I think also the point around moving with the spend. So the people who have the biggest spend have the biggest opportunity to create the biggest change. Yeah, and we've seen that. You know, if you look at um, P&G, what was it, about two years ago now, Mark, Mark Pritchard's famous speech that everyone always brings up and talks about. But that did make a fundamental shift. Mm. You know, they took a stance. 
and someone needed to do it and that really made a difference for them. But I think that just slightly defend some of the top brands a little bit because you've almost put it in the pockets of about 40 people around the world. Just that they've got to do it, start resisting with, yeah. <laughs> with their spend first. Um, I think everybody can make a difference by taking yeah. the time mm. to understand, to learn, to ask the right questions. But with the onus not being on blame, right, that's something that we see a lot. This hasn't worked and that's your fault. And then that blame gets passed down and down and down versus we should move away from this being a negative experience and turning it into a learning one. This went wrong. Why? How can we develop this? How can we make it better? I was thinking about it from an agency perspective. You've got a planner and a manager sitting there and making sure they don't have a fear of turning around being like, oh, I've got a problem. I've identified this. It's not right. It's not going to work. I know it's making money for us, but it's this is not right. I've actually been thinking about maybe doing X, Y, Z instead and making sure there's that confidence across the industry to actually do it. Yeah. I think we're in quite a lucky position being 150 people that's full digital as well because we've got creative, we've got a creative technologist, we've got the programmatic guys that are working on the DSP. Oh, my God. I just lost it. The DSPs. <laughs> Too many acronyms. Too many bloody acronyms. Too many acronyms. That we are coming up with like some interesting solutions across all the different departments, all working really closely together and like checking in every morning, being like, right, what are you doing? What are you doing? And empowering the staff to actually go and just play, play around with stuff and come up with interesting solutions, um, which has worked really interestingly from a also morale perspective in the agency. Yeah, like, it's a really interesting and fun place to be. So to your point of not putting the onus too much on the big guys, smaller agencies can actually impact change through that kind of hacker mentality. We're at the end of episode one of Silence Please. Thank you so much to our guests, Samantha Scott, Media Planning and Trading Director at 360i Digital, James Deber, Client Partner at the Programmatic Advisory, and Charlie Johnson, Vice President for the UK and Ireland at Digital And. And thank you to Bob Hoffman for recording extracts from his book, especially for this podcast. This series is produced by Jesse Lawson at Reduce Listening. Our music is by Super Thriller. Next time on Silence Please, tracking. We'll be thinking about how our industry became so dependent on tracking, weighing up its pros and cons and trying to work out the implications of the EU's new data protection legislation, the GDPR. 